Our sermon text today will be Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. We're going to pick up the reading from verse 5 and read through to verse 25. Uh, before we read that, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we now study your word, I pray, Father, that you would help me as I preach. Please help me to speak according to the wisdom of God, not according to the wisdom of man. Father, let me say that which you would have said. Father, if I should stray, let my words be forgotten and come to nothing. But, Father, we trust for better things here this day. We trust that you will speak to us by your holy scriptures and that you will speak to us even by a servant like myself as I seek to preach them. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand and obey. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Picking up at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people. Amen. May God bless his word to us. It was well for Zechariah when he was troubled and feeling great fear at the appearance of the angel. That was good. That's the way it should be. I mean, after all, Zechariah, knowing himself to be a sinner, had come into the presence of a holy one, one who had come directly from the presence of God. But isn't it amazing just how quickly and just how easily we people 
can go from what you might call a right and proper and wise attitude and, you know, godly restraint of our tongue and other such things to a couple of breaths later, we're speaking out a term and we're saying things in a way that maybe they ought not to be said. Just how easy it is for us to go from darkness to light just by the words that come out of our very mouths. And poor old Zechariah, in many ways, I feel sorry for him. I do. I, I, I feel empathy for him. I, I actually, in many ways, identify with him. Poor old Zechariah had this experience. You know, he's, he's in the crosshairs of history at this moment. He's actually on the crossroads of history, in a way. He's on the crossroads of the history of God's people and the attention of all of God's people. Every time we read the Gospel of Luke, at this part of the Gospel of Luke, our attention falls on him. And he's shown up to be what he is. Though he's a just and righteous believer, a faithful man, counted by God to be faithful, even so, he bears with him the burden of his sins and if he's not ever on guard, he may well speak foolishly. He may well do things that he wishes he hadn't ever done. What I want to do, I want to move as quickly as I can through the text before us. It's, it is at least in many ways reasonably straightforward. And then the next thing that I want to do after that is I want to to help us gain our understanding and to gain our lesson or application from it today, I then want us to look at some Old Testament texts that are relevant and bring it all together and see just exactly what the Scripture is telling us here. So let's start at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, why do I say I can feel sorry for him? Well, the things that he has just said are actually found in the Old Testament. He's almost quoted word for word Abraham from a couple of different spots in the Old Testament. Abraham asked the question, how am I to know that I shall possess the land? And when Abraham was told that Sarah would have a child, the scripture tells us that Sarah was old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Some of the same words are used here. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You see, God's people in the Old Testament often asked for signs. Gideon asked for a sign. Abraham asked for a sign. Moses said, how will the people know that you have sent me? Remember, and God said, well, throw your staff on the ground. God showed him a sign. There was a promise. Zechariah asked the question, but obviously there's a problem in his heart. You know, he, he's come to a certain point in his faith. He's believing everything that he's been taught thus far. He's believing everything that's been revealed to him. He believes the teaching of the prophets. He believes the teaching of Moses. He's a just man, a justified man in the sight of God. But a, a clearer light has broken open right there in front of him. There's something more. And there he stumbles. 
there he stumbles. C.S. Lewis in um, the Narnia books, he often said, and it's also in um, the book called The Great Divorce, he often used this phrase. Now, you know, C.S. Lewis is not the greatest author and I'm not saying that everybody should make a, make a, a habit of studying C.S. Lewis, but there were some things that he said that were really good for illustrative purposes. Upward and inward. Upward and inward. What did he mean? You're always going upward and inward in your relationship with God. You're going higher into the heavenly realms and you're going deeper into the heavenly realms. Upward and inward. And you see, there's a call here to Zechariah. That which has just been announced to him by the angel Gabriel was Zechariah, come upward and inward. Believe this. Hear what you are being told. He asks his question. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Stop. Do you know who Gabriel was? Do you remember the book of Daniel? Daniel prayed, confessing the sins of his people, praying that God would set them free from the burden of Babylonian captivity, restore the kingdom to Israel. Confessing his sins and the sins of his people, praying, praying, praying. He knew that Jeremiah had prophesied that this captivity would last for 70 years and the day was drawing near. And God sent an angel. Angel's name was Gabriel. I am Gabriel. And at that moment, Zechariah should have realized serious business is happening here. Gabriel, who spoke to Daniel. Gabriel, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I saw the angels calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm Gabriel. I've come from that place. I've come from the very presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. I'll ask you another question. Some of you, I'm sure, will remember. Some of you might need a little bit of prompting. You read in the New Testament, good news, that phrase. What do you know is behind it? What should you understand is behind it? We might call it gospel. We might call it evangelion. I bring to you the good news. It's actually, uh, it's actually used as a verb. I am gospeling to you. I am evangelizing to you. I am preaching salvation to you. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, there's an interesting thing. Just turn quickly, have a look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 15. Daniel, his prayers have been answered by an angel. The angel has spoken many reassuring words to him, etc., etc. And all of this has basically made him tremble, filled him with fear. Verse 10, we'll start at Daniel 10.10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Just a touch. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. 
And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And was mute. We can assume that the angel speaking to him is once again Gabriel. And notice... Gabriel, the impact of his words upon Daniel made Daniel mute. Now turn back to the Gospel of Luke. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I ask you a question. How comfortable are you with this idea that an angel can make you unable to speak? The angel actually struck him deaf. Believe it or not, we don't realise that, but the angel actually struck him deaf. In the Gospel of Luke, just look forward to Luke chapter 1, verse 62. Now, this is at the birth and then the circumcision and naming of John the Baptist. Verse 60, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Think about that. If Zechariah could have heard what was said and simply just couldn't speak, you wouldn't make signs to him. You'd just say, Zechariah, what name should the baby have? They made signs to him. They'd come up with some kind of sign language. This man had been deaf and dumb for almost a year. How quickly did Elizabeth conceive? We don't know. But we know that it takes nine to ten months for a baby to gestate. They'd, they'd worked out some kind of sign language. This man was deaf and dumb. How comfortable are you with the thought that an angel has that power over a human body? You know, we, we, we live in this modern day and age of medical research, of scientific knowledge. And the power of an angel, or by the way, the power of a fallen spirit, a fallen angel, is something that cannot be measured nor quantified by science. Yet scripture tells us that these spirit beings have these powers and abilities according to that which God has ordained. I still go to the doctor when I need a doctor. I don't pray for God to send angels to make me better, and I don't assume every time something's gone wrong that it's because some spirit has made it gone wrong. But I'm telling you, these these creatures that come to us from the presence of God and may well be here with us this evening, They have powers that we do not have. They have abilities according to the ordaining of God that we do not have. And if we were aware of their presence and they were a truly holy angel, we would fear. We would fear. I've mentioned it once before in a sermon. I know a guy. He woke up. There was some kind of spirit in his room. You know what he did? He turned his back on it. Why? He said, because I wasn't afraid. I woke up. There was a spirit in my room. The room was pitch black. There was something standing before me. It looked like an angel of light and it had a big, dumb smile on its face. And I did not fear. 
He said, I turned my back on it and I prayed, God, I only want to know you by your word. It's a wise man. These things aren't to be expected. These things don't happen every other day in anybody's life. That's for sure. But I kind of believe what that guy has to say. He said, I did not fear. Therefore, I did not consider it to be a holy angel. Therefore, I turned my back on it. My words will be fulfilled in their time. They're words from God. God has spoken. God has sent Gabriel with this message. Therefore, they're true words. You can count on them. You can count on their fulfilment. You can plan for it. You can build upon that. These are promises to be believed. Verse 21, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. This ceremony of burning incense before the Lord was basically a very controlled ceremony. It was a liturgy. Everybody knew how it would run. You know, we were we were we are friends with some people who of another denomination in this town and remember their services. They ran for exactly one hour if they were running well. They started with exactly the same song, they finished with exactly the same song, the sermon was exactly twenty minutes long, the prayer time was exactly seven and a half minutes. You get the picture. That's the situation that Zechariah was in. Everybody who was there knew what the liturgy was. They knew the prayers that he was to say, how long it was to take. They knew how long it was to take for the other priests who were helping him in this ceremony with regards to the lighting of the fires, the cleaning of the ash, etc., etc. There was a delay. Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realised that he had seen a vision in the temple. Something unusual happened and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I'll just make a little comment there. He finished his time of service. No matter what happened, he finished his time of service. He did his job. He fulfilled his duty. No matter what happened, God's people do that. God's people do that. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. We don't know how long after these days. But after these days, I'm imagining a fairly short time. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She's aware of that which was considered to be a failure in her life by her people. Remember the promises of God. We looked at it two sermons ago. The promises of God. None of your women will be barren. All of your wives will conceive. You'll be having children. You will multiply. You will fill the land in which I'm placing you. If a woman is barren, if a woman does not conceive... Well, what's the conclusion of busybody type people? People who can't mind their own business. Failure, moral failure. Something wrong with that woman. Some hidden sin. She's a sneak. There's something not right there. So she hid herself for five months. There was no custom to hide yourself for five months, but I think she hid herself for five months for this reason. So that when she stepped forward and said, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have a baby, remember this is a very old lady, 
No one was going to laugh because she was showing. She was obviously pregnant. She was obviously with child. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The Lord has taken away my reproach. No one is going to say I was a failure anymore. No one is going to accuse me of having something hidden anymore. God has given me a child in my old age. And so she kept herself hidden for five months before she came out, as it were, before the people and said, look at what God has done for me. And if you think of it, anyone who knows the scriptures couldn't help but think at that time of thinking of Sarah, Abraham, Sarah and the promised child. And Elizabeth is now bearing a promised child and her husband Zechariah is deaf and mute. There are things going on. God is dealing with his people once again. There are things happening. Now, as I said in my introductory comments, I wanted us to get back into some Old Testament scriptures and try to make some sense of exactly what was happening here. Zechariah made mute, deaf and dumb. Yet we know that he's a faithful man, not perfect, but certainly faithful. They were both righteous before God, chapter 1, verse 6, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. The gospel was preached to him. That's the word that Gabriel uses. I am gospeling to you. I am evangelizing to you. I am bringing you a message, as it were, from the very throne room of God. And that's why I say Zechariah was in the crossroads of redemptive history. Right in the crossroads, right where things are changing. His faith was according to Old Testament faith. He believed that which he had to believe in order to be justified. He believed the promises of God. He believed that the Messiah was coming. He believed that there would be redemption for the people of God. He believed that the kingdom of God would expand throughout all the world. He believed that the gospel would be preached through the nation, through the people of God, throughout all the world. He believed the promises of God, yet he was challenged. Believe now. Now, here, in your life. You know, there's a challenge for people like you and I still, isn't there? We're told to live as though and believe that it is a fact, what? That Jesus will be returning. Jesus will be returning. Do we live in that way? Do we believe that to be true? Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead. And what if it could be happening in our lives? I'm not saying I know anything in particular, I don't. But are we living as though it could be happening in our lives, as though there could be fulfilment now? As though that which we have always said and believed as Christians could truly be happening now, right now, anytime, any time in our lives, do we live and believe, do we live our lives as though that were true? 
See, there's a challenge here to Zechariah. Zechariah, you believed God would send salvation. You believed the Saviour would come. You believe that the Messiah would come, that he would lead God's people to freedom. Zechariah, I'm telling you now that God is sending you a son and your son will prepare the way for that Saviour. You know what that means? It means, in another way of putting it, Zechariah, here now in Israel today, should the Lord grant you just a few more years, you yourself might lay eyes upon the Saviour. That thing which your people have hoped for now throughout redemptive history, from the time that Moses promised God would send another prophet just like me, and to him you shall listen. Can you believe, Zechariah, that now is the time? In your life is the time that your son is, as it were, his footman, making straight the way of the Lord, levelling out the paths before him, bringing before him a people prepared. Now, you say you've believed it all your life, Zechariah. That's really good. Guess what? Now, here, now, today, in this life, now, now, that which you've hoped and prayed for, your prayers are. Zechariah, as I said, is in the crossroads. He's an Old Testament saint hearing New Testament news. He's an Old Covenant saint hearing New Covenant news. As an Old Covenant saint, he follows a pattern. He asks for a sign. I need a sign. I don't quite believe this. I need a sign. I need a sign. You know, Abraham got a sign. Moses got a sign. Gideon got a sign. Saul got a sign. King Saul, who became apostate, he got a sign. I need a sign. And Gabriel says to him, I'm gospeling to you. I'm evangelizing to you. Remember at Luke chapter 11, verse 29, which we read earlier, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. You see, Gabriel replies, I am Gabriel. I've come to you from the presence of God with the gospel and you're not believing and you've asked for a sign well you can have a sign here's your sign you will be deaf and mute you will be unable to hear you will be unable to speak you wanted a sign you're getting a sign and it's consistent with the with the thing that happened to Daniel way back in the book of Daniel for a period of time Daniel turned his face toward the ground and was mute There's your sign. You can't hear. You can't speak. What I want us to think about here, because this becomes a rather important theme in the Gospel of Luke, it's actually an important theme in all of the Gospels, is that at this moment, Zechariah is standing in the place of the people of God. Remember, he's a priest in the temple, offering up the incense, offering up the prayers for the people. And so there's a promise and a threat here for 
the people of God. A promise and a threat here toward the nation of the Jews. What's the promise? The Saviour is coming. All who turn to the Saviour in faith and repentance will receive salvation. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. That's the promise. What's the threat? What's the threat? Let's have a look at a few things in the Old Testament. Um, We read from Psalm 115. Remember what it says about idolatry. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. What's the context there? Turn again to Psalm 115. Let's start reading at verse 3 of Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. There, who's there? That's the nations, the nations who do not know God. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not work, walk, I'm sorry. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. All right. Zechariah, what is his situation? What is his condition? In terms of scripture, he has what we would call from Genesis to Malachi. He has the Old Testament. In terms of the practice of faith, he has the law, ceremonial, requiring all sorts of preparations for priests to enter into the temple. The people will remain on the outside, etc., etc. Sacrificial lambs and all that goes with it, the Passover, you name it. What does that become if you cling to these things after having had the gospel preached to you? The old covenant preached to God's old covenant people. What is it? The gospel's in it. It's the word of God. It is that which they are called to believe and to obey. Christ is hidden, as it were, in the old covenant for any who would care to see him there. What, after all, is the Passover lamb whose blood protects the firstborn from death on the night of the Passover? What, after all, is the scapegoat driven from the camp left to die apart from the people, bearing the sins of the people? What, after all, is the blood of heifers and rams and goats, which restore sinners to salvation? You know, what does it tell us in the book of Hebrews about that blood? It tells us that it doesn't really wash away sins. It tells us if it really washed away sins, you wouldn't have to repeat the sacrifices again and again and again. But they're all pointers, aren't they? They're all types pointing to what's called the antitype. In all of these things, the gospel is being preached. There will come a Lamb of God. There will come the blood that washes away sins. There will come a great high priest. The temple will be made open to the people of God. All of these promises are contained there in the Old Testament. But if the gospel is preached, if the people hear about the coming of the Saviour, the Son of God, who would redeem the people from their sins, and they say, no, but I don't want that kind of salvation, 
I mean, if you're going to send me a son of David, at least let him be a general who can drive these stinking Romans out of our nation. I don't want that kind of salvation. I've already got a temple. I've already got commandments. I've already got a priesthood. I don't want that son of God. I don't want that dearly beloved son of the father, the only begotten son of the father who reveals the father, who makes the truth known. I don't want these things. I don't want the suffering servant. I don't want any of that. I'm happy with what I've got. Thank you very much. All right. In that context, what does the old covenant law and worship become? When you say you now choose, you prefer the blood of goats and lambs and bulls and heifers. You prefer the blood of animals to the blood of the son of God. What has your worship become? And the answer is, in that context, it has become idolatry. You have refused to receive God for whom God has said he is. You've, re- you've refused to receive God according to God's own revelation of himself. And so, even though in its context, old covenant worship of God was true worship of God, Once you get to the point that you now have the revelation of the new covenant, the revelation of the Lamb of God, the revelation of the way into the holy place, and it's God's Son himself. And remember, we're told that all must honour the Son as they honour the Father. And no one now will come to the Son but through the, sorry, come to the Father but through the Son. That which you have chosen over the Son of God, has now become your idol. You are now guilty of idolatry. Turn to the book of Galatians in chapter 4. Paul says something here in Galatians chapter 4. and um, You know, we, we looked at Galatians back when we started. But... Um, You know, it doesn't hurt to be reminded again of what Paul says here. And I think it's absolutely amazing. It's kind of mind blowing what he says here. Galatians chapter four, we're going to read from verse 21. Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Think carefully who's speaking, and think carefully what he's just said. The Apostle Paul is an Old Testament Jew, a Jew of Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Okay, he was a Hebrew speaking Jew who could trace his genealogy. He was one of the few that were left in the world at that time. And he has just said that the present Jerusalem corresponds to Mount Sinai, which is Hagar, the slave woman. The one that was driven out of the camp of the people of God. And he says that there is a Jerusalem above. 
And the Jerusalem above is the free woman. And the Jerusalem above is our mother. Hagar was an Egyptian. Hagar was not the mother of the promised child. And the Apostle Paul likens basically Jerusalem. And when he speaks of Mount Sinai, what was given at Mount Sinai? The law. It was the, it was the high point of the revelation of God himself to his people after they had been set free from captivity in Egypt. After, in their wanderings, they're taken to Mount Sinai. The Lord descends upon the mountaintop. There's thunder and lightnings and fire, etc. They re- Moses gets the Ten Commandments. This is the ultimate revelation of God himself at that time, in that place, according to that covenant. And now what does Paul say of it? It's Hagar, the unwanted slave woman from Egypt. It's Hagar, the unwanted slave woman from Egypt. What could possibly put Jerusalem and the law as given in Mount Sinai into that situation where it could be considered to be Hagar, the unwanted slave woman? The revelation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. The revelation of salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation of the fact that the people of God are now basically dwelling in the very holy place of God. Where we are gathered together. The Lord is in the midst of us. He dwells in each of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He dwells in us as a gathered people by the power of his Holy Spirit. Where's the temple? Well, as near as we're going to get to the temple in this age is here. You and me, feeble little sinners that we feel that we are. Nobodies that we feel that we are. We're the temple. My friends, we're the dwelling place of God. We're the beloved of God. We're in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That which is old, if people want to cling to that which is old, they're clinging to that slave woman from Egypt. They're rejecting the promises. You know, what? why was it that Sarah gave that girl to Abraham as a concubine and said, sleep with Hagar? Well, she didn't quite believe the promise at that point. Not having yet had the promised child, she thought, well, maybe, maybe you know, it's customary. It's customary for fathers without heirs, to raise up an heir through a concubine. And maybe the way Abraham is supposed to be raising up an heir is through this concubine. And she's my handmaiden, and she has no identity apart from the fact that I rule over her as her mistress. You know, she's only a slave girl from Egypt. In other words, she's a nobody, except that she's my nobody, which could make her a somebody, Maybe I could get a child and maybe the promised child comes to me through the handmaid. Hagar, go spend the night with Abraham. Not believing the promise of God. How does the Jerusalem, the present Jerusalem, become Hagar? How does the Old Testament law become Hagar? Now, the law is good. The Apostle Paul himself says the law is good. 
I believe the law is good. I teach you that you should not be living in, in contravention of God's commandments. You've heard me say it so many times. The law is good. We shall not murder. We shall not commit adultery. We shall not steal. We shall have no other God. We shall not commit idolatry, etc., etc. The law is good. Yet, if you think that salvation comes through the law, as opposed to the revelation of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and his blood shed upon the cross of Calvary, cross of Calvary, you make the law an idol. You make your old covenant revelation an idol. Getting back to Zechariah, getting back to what we read in Psalm 115. Let's have a look at another passage. I want you to turn this time to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Now, Isaiah, chapter 6, I'm sure we're familiar with it. I've already referred to it in our service here today. In the year that King Isaiah died, starting at verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. We'll stop the reading there. Isaiah is commissioned to do what? To go out and to preach the gospel. Preach. Preach this message from God. Preach this message that you've received, as it were, from the very throne room of heaven. Remember where Gabriel got his message? I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Isaiah is sent out to preach, but what's going to be the impact, the effect of his preaching? In a general way. Now, I'm sure there were people who believed his preaching. Isaiah speaks of the children that God has given him, and I don't think when he speaks of the children that God has given him, he's speaking only of his own household. But what's the general impact of his preaching? They hear, but do not understand. They see, but do not perceive. Their heart becomes dull. Their eyes are heavy. They blind their eyes. Unless they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Okay. Let's have a look at one more thing and then we'll try and draw the threads together. I want you to look now in Luke chapter 8. We'll read the parable of the sower, as it's usually called. And then we'll read what Jesus has to say. 
starting at verse 4 then in Luke chapter 8. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And, the, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice that call, all about hearing, hear the gospel, hear the preaching. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that, now here he is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Okay, now turn back to Zechariah. I'm sorry, turn back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 18. Let's consider Zechariah. Remember what I said, he's in the crossroads of redemptive history. He's an Old Testament saint. He's being called to New Testament faith, to believe the good news that has come to him from God himself. And he asks a question in a tone and in a manner that is obviously indicating he does not believe the promise he's just heard. And what happens to him? He's struck deaf and dumb. He's made mute. He does not hear and he cannot speak. What's the threat? The threat is believe or your heart will be hardened and you will become as an idolater. You'll become as one whose eyes are blind, whose ears are blocked, whose heart is made hard. Remember, Zechariah stands at this moment in the place of the people of Israel. He's ministering in the temple. You see the promise and the threat to the people of God. The promise and the threat. What's the promise? Believe the preaching that has been brought to you from the very throne room of God and you will have life, salvation, now, here, in your life. Believe the preaching of the gospel. What's the threat? Choose any other thing. Turn any other way. Turn even to the Old Testament revelation of God and the Old Testament worship of God, even if it were done exactly according to the commandment. And you have become an idolater. Your ears become deaf. Your eyes become blind. Your heart becomes hard. Zechariah receives just a partial curse, as it were. Now, I'm not saying he's a cursed forever. I'm not saying anything like that. He receives what scripture says is just a partial sign of idolatry. Deafened ears. Tongues that don't speak. The threat. The threat. Ministered through the angel Gabriel. If you do not believe this revelation that's coming your way, you will become dumb like an idol. As dumb as an idol. Deaf blind, hardened heart, nothing to say, nothing to do, nothing to do with God, you will become an idolater. As I said, remember, he stands in the place of the people of God at this moment. What's the fate of the nation of Israel? When the Son of God is on the cross, what do they cry? We have no king but Caesar. As his blood falls upon the ground, what do they cry? Let the guilt fall upon us and our children. 
Ha, 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 we don't care. He's nobody. He means nothing. What is the state of their heart? Their ears are deafened. Their eyes are blinded. Their hearts are hardened. They're confirmed in their idolatry. And Zechariah, he's just a foretaste. Now, I believe Zechariah is a saved man. But like every saved man, he's dealing with the sin within. And all of us stumble in our faith and all of us fail to take that next step. We're being called, remember, upward and onward or upward and inward, higher up into the kingdom of God, further into the presence of God. We're being called and called and called and we stumble. We stumble. God is gracious. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's steadfast and merciful, showing steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. We're held in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good shepherd is our shepherd. We'll never be cast off. We'll always be drawn back. The shepherd will always come after us. If we are his, he will never let us go. He's purchased us with his blood. But here, Zechariah receives, as it were, just the the promise and the threat that God is making to his people. I'm sending my son. This is it. There's nothing coming after this. If you are to be saved, you will believe in my son. You will believe the gospel that I'm sending to you. If you do not, you will become as an idol. For the truth is, though you claim to believe in God, your hearts are far from me, and indeed you are idolatrous. People can claim to be believers and be idolaters. How can that happen? Because they do not receive God for who God says he is. They say they believe in God, and then they think that they get to define, according to their human understanding, who God is, what God's power is, what God's knowledge is, what God's ability is. They say they believe in God, but in their hearts they are denying the divinity of the God whom they claim to believe in. And if they're in that situation, they are idolaters. My friends, great comfort for us. We live in the hands of God. Zechariah was disciplined. And his discipline was to be a sign to his people. Understand something. God will never cast us off. He loves us. He's purchased us with the blood of his son. But also understand he is our father and he disciplines his people and he casts off those who are not his people. That's the promise and that's the threat. And that's what we see in the life of Zechariah. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for that which you have spoken to us this day. We pray, Father, that we we would take these words deep into our hearts, meditate upon them. Father, that you would enable us by faith to receive you for whom you have revealed yourself to be through Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, may our ears be open. May our eyes be open. May our hearts be humble and tender, ready to receive the word of God for that which it truly is the very words of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.